Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. You know, the fall will be here before you know it, and the temperatures will start to drop and get a little bit cooler. So swing on by Leon Tailoring to get you something warm that will not burn a hole in your pocket. Maybe it's a nice little bit of a heavier jacket, or maybe a heavier blouse or skirt, or no matter what it is, maybe a nice sweater. No matter what it is, you can get it at Leon Tailoring. You can get it ready-made or custom-made or tailor-made. Just go on in, tell them Abdul sent you, and they'll take care of you, and they'll be happy to do it as well. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware in downtown Indianapolis. So ultimately, as I, I alluded to, what is driving this? Well, it's, it's primarily increases in expense. And so important to note here, you will see that the, the expenses for the Indiana hospitals has uh, dramatically climbed over the last couple of years. This coincides with uh, similar uh, increases across the nation, uh, being nearly $3.2 billion higher in expense in 22 than it was in pre-pandemic levels. The lion's share of these increases is being borne by increases in labor expense, and as you will see, that is labor expense both for employed staff as well as contract labor. And unfortunately, non-labs have risen too, uh, to the tune of about $1.2 billion. Over the course of these last three years, this is a cumulative increase of approximately $5.4 billion uh, over the past three years. And, and it's worth noting that many of us here are not necessarily within control of, of the hospital orders to change, but rather they're reacting to these larger macroeconomic uh, influences. In looking at labor costs, what we find is that the employed labor expenses have increased by about $1.9 billion over the course of this time. Uh, this is not only uh, due to uh, increased wages that, that organizations are paying to remain competitive and, and stave off some of the contract labor expenses, uh, but is also due to some of the other larger wage pressures and labor shortages that exist. Uh, you'll note uh, that, that uh, $1.8 billion is substantially higher again than pre-pandemic uh, levels. So not only are the employed expenses uh, rising, but in 2022, hospitals uh, faced a profound increase in contract labor expenses. And note here that $552 million of that labor expense increase uh, is being borne by contract labor. This is unfortunately due to increased utilization of that contract labor and also the rates at which uh, contract and staffing agencies began to charge for their, their uh, nurses and other uh, contractors also rose dramatically over this time period. So it's an increase in utilization as well as the increase in price uh, for those types of positions. This cumulative is a $689 million above pre-pandemic levels uh, over the last three years. To that end, what you'll note is that contract labor historically, the, the utilization of contract labor for hospitals has been in the, the 1%, uh, perhaps a little bit higher range uh, in the past. And you'll note in 2022, due to the variation in volumes that hospitals were experiencing, as well as some of the late challenges, uh, the utilization climbed to 6%, uh, and, and the total labor expense climbed to 6%. You'll also note too that the utilization of that contract labor doubled. And as such, what that means is the price of these contract labor individuals increased dramatically. Uh, and the, the uh, median labor wage rate for contract positions in 2022 is, was uh, over $150 per hour. As I mentioned, uh, not only as labor expenses increase, but so have non-labor expenses. These are due to uh, supply chain uh, challenges, demand for PPE, uh, and, and other areas that are, are difficult for hospital operators to control, as well as the increased quality of patients and the longer length of stay of patients coming in, 
has led to an increase in $95 million in medical supply expense over pre-pandemic levels, and cumulatively, uh, $255 million uh, above uh, 2019 levels. As, as sicker patients are coming into the hospital and those patients in longer, as well as patients who throughout the beginning uh, years of the epidemic perhaps postponed or, or didn't take care of themselves, particularly with chronic conditions, what we find is that drug expenses increased quite dramatically in 21 and, and 2022, uh, as those patients required more drugs and more expensive drugs to, to take care of themselves and as hospitals took care of them. Ultimately, this is an increase of, of uh, just shy of $500 million uh, increase in drug expense over the last three years. With the labor challenges that, that persisted and in the increased cost of labor, what we find is that many organizations also chose to uh, uh, evaluate whether they could purchase some of these services from external vendors, uh, for which we've also seen the increase in those cost expense quite quickly, uh, principally in 20 and 22. This amounts to a $456 million more spent on purchase services uh, over the last three years than, than pre-pandemic levels. Uh, and again, uh, uh, highlights the profound uh, challenges that hospitals face with these expense headwinds. It is worth noting that that revenue has grown over this time period, but what I really want to impress upon you in, in 2022 is you'll note that, that any of this growth in revenue uh, was greatly and in fact far offset by growth in operating expense. So as such, ultimately as expenses grew faster than the rate of revenue, what we think is that, that hospitals began to lose money. Further, it's important to note that, that as we look at any of the increases in revenue that did occur, uh, some of that was also due to a historical provider relief fund um, that, that was given to hospitals of which very little um, was administered in 22 and, and very little to expect going forward. As mentioned previously, uh, the hospital volumes have not fully recovered to, to pre-pandemic levels. And so what you'll note from this is that hospital discharges are down nearly 9% in 2022, and, and the patient days remain relatively flat. What this means is that the average length of stay has increased. In other words, there are fewer patients coming into the hospital, but those that are coming in are sicker and staying longer. I mentioned to you some of the labor challenges that, that exist. Part of the, the challenge that is driving this increased length of stay is labor shortages both within the hospitals and in post-acute sites of care, where hospitals are having a hard time finding places to place these patients uh, following their, their hospital stay. What's notable about this is the way hospitals are reimbursed. They don't necessarily receive commensurate reimbursement for each extra day that a patient stays, but, but accumulate the expenses uh, for each of those days. So again, this is ultimately driving the, the disconnect with expenses rising far greater than revenues. Furthermore, what you will notice is the pandemic has accelerated some trends in where patients seek care. And you'll note that ED visits still remain relatively uh, depressed to pre-pandemic levels, as well as operating room minutes being down as patients seek other sites of care outside the hospital, retail pharmacies, urgent care clinics, and others. Um, leading to further strain and challenges uh, for these hospitals going forward. Finally, as, as we think about the impact of the balance sheet and, and liquidity and cash for hospitals with these prolonged negative operating margins, the repayment of some of these accelerated funds uh, and the, the headwinds faced by these expenses, 
What we've also uh, uh, uncovered and observed here is that the, the median day's cash on hand, that is the liquidity that these hospitals hold to pay for their expenses, has dropped dramatically since 2021 over the last year to the tune of, of more than 17%. When you, when you compare the, the median drop, uh, the change in median over this time period, it's nearly 30%. And importantly, this leads to quite a few challenges uh, for hospitals in thinking about uh, lower amounts of liquidity and potential uh, capital investment. So taken together, the, these data, as, as I just reviewed, encompass hospitals of all uh, shapes and sizes across Indiana as a representative sample and highlights the profound financial toll that they faced in, in 2022. And as I mentioned, none of these, these changes here are likely to uh, abate in 2023, and we expect another challenging year ahead. So with that, thank you, and I'll, I'll turn it back to Brian. Uh, thank you, Eric, and I know you'll be with us. Uh, we'll take questions at the end, but I think there's a lot of Fascinating data. Uh, appreciate all your work, but we want to turn now to what this means, uh, not just for hospitals, but for communities and patients. Uh, so we're going to go around the state and hear from a number of, of providers, uh, hospitals of, of all shapes and sizes. So we'll start with Craig Gruber, who is the CEO of Beacon Health System in uh, North Central Indiana. Craig? Thanks, Brian. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with Beacon Health System. Uh, we're located in North Central Indiana. Uh, we're what's considered to be a small health system. We, our, our hospitals include Memorial Hospital in South Bend, Elkhart General Hospital in Elkhart, Indiana, and Bremen Community Hospital in Bremen, Indiana. Um, and we have several physician uh, practices located throughout our region. We're one of the largest employers in our region. Uh, we service the greatest number of patients in our, in our communities. Um, we're the trauma center for the region. Uh, we're the disproportionate share hospital for the region, the children's hospital for the region. Uh, we provide a lot of the critical services needed for our area of Indiana. Um, our experience uh, mirrors exactly what you heard from Eric. Uh, I could put Beacon Health System on the title page of that document and walk through uh, the, our statistics, which match what, what we're seeing in Indiana and across the United States. Uh, for 2022, we will finish up our year with a negative operating margin of about 1.1%. That translates into about a $14 million loss for us in 2022. Uh, that's the first loss in our history. Uh, usually, we operate around a 2 to 4% margin, really considered a relatively small margin, but enough to sustain us over time. Uh, this is the first time we've seen where we haven't been able to hit that margin target. And again, it's everything that Eric talked about. One of the things I'd like to focus in on for Beacon specifically was contract labor. During the peak of the pandemic, we had about 300 uh, agency staff individuals in our, in our hospitals, uh, primarily due to vacancies and people traveling and the demand uh, that we saw for services. Um, we knew that we did not want to rely on agency staff over time and, and currently, uh, we made some decisions to get out of use of agency staff, but it's cost us dearly. Uh, we now have a handful of agency nurses in our facility, so we're not relying on them any longer. And we made a conscious decision to pay our nurses more, to keep the nurses who live in our community working in our communities. And that's paid off for us, but it cost us dearly. 
um, and, and it has raised our operating expense uh, to do that, to make sure that our positions are staffed by our nurses. And there are, there are a list of advantages of why hospitals would want to do that. None of my colleagues on this call would, would say that they want to use agency nurse instead of a, a nurse who lives in their communities. Um, but when you have to find a staff person to, to staff a position, uh, agency is that op option at times. Uh, the other thing that I'll note that is consistent in the report was the change in utilization of, of PAYX, if you will, the change in types of patients that we've had. Uh, that in many cases, uh, volumes have not come back. And for us at Beacon, it's the volume that has not come back to utilization trends prior to the pandemic is really the commercial payer or the commercial patients with commercial insurance. Our Medicaid and Medicare volume has come back to almost pre-pandemic levels. Because we rely a lot on commercial payers versus Medicare and Medicaid, because they don't cover their costs. Medicaid and Medicare do not cover their complete costs of care. We're over-reliant on the commercial payers who end up cross-subsidizing, if you will, the cost of care for those other populations. Because of that change in payer mix, our revenues are dramatically down. Expenses up, revenue down, thus our change in our uh, operating margin. And the last question is, just like he noted, the days of cash on hand or uh, days of cash that we have available to use for to support our other programs and renewal of capital and technology and those sorts of things, uh, we dropped about $200 million in, in uh, days cash on hand in a year. And that's significant because when you produce two to 4% margin, for us, that's about $40 million a year. Sounds like a lot. Every year, we need about $80 million to $90 million to renew and refresh capital, our buildings and facilities. We count on having enough days cash on hand to supplement what we're making on our operating margin. And so when those two things are depressed, it's going to cause us to get behind in updating technology, have to look at programs and services to see if we can continue providing what we do in our communities. So we're very concerned about the trend that we're on, working very hard to change things, um, and we appreciate the opportunity to share our story today. Thank you so much, Greg. Greg, you, you touched on something that I think is, is worth noting that is also sometimes not... Uh, um, well understood uh, outside of healthcare, and that is how many uh, days uh, within uh, your facilities uh, are treating patients that are covered by Medicaid and Medicare. So 83% of all hospitals in Indiana, uh, pretty much every hospital, uh, two, more than two-thirds of the days uh, regarding inpatient services are for patients who are were covered by Medicaid or Medicare. So for most hospitals, the vast majority of those days. So you know, Craig hit on something that's very important that I, that I think is also part of, of the story that uh, doesn't always get out. So thank you for mentioning that. Uh, we're gonna go from uh, the north uh, down uh, to the south of Indiana uh, to an individual who is actually the current chair of the Indiana Hospital Association uh, for 2023, and that is Carol Dozier, who is uh, the CEO of Norton King's Daughters Health in Madison, Indiana. So, Carol? Well, um, it's nice to be here, and, and um, greetings from southeastern Indiana, and I've been to Madison. We are um, 
a picturesque um, historical district area and we sit right on the Ohio River. So um, it, it is a beautiful place to be. And I wanna just share with you a brief snapshot of our financial and staffing challenges that we face both now and in the future. And I can tell you there are no quick solutions for us. So we finished the year with a negative 12.5% operating margin. It was a rough year for us. Our volumes have not returned to pre-pandemic levels and we've experienced significant cost increases in labor, drugs, supplies, and other services, as Craig mentioned. Um, we, about 20% of our total volumes are Medicaid and self-pay, and about 52% of our total volumes are Medicare, just to give you um, a highlight. And um, we um, also, as other hospitals do, provide um, a liberal financial assistance program for those in need. As many other hospitals, we are faced with the same staffing challenges, and we do use contract labor to supplement our staffing needs. And just to show you um, the effect of one year to the other, in 2021 we, to 2022, we saw an increase in contract labor dollars of over 1,000%. So it's pretty significant for us. Then, if these challenges were not enough, just as COVID was starting to decrease and we thought we were going to catch our breath a little, um, we experienced a cyber event in early 2022. And these cyber events have happened to other hospitals in Indiana and across the nation in recent years. And I can tell you the effects of these place an immense financial toll on our facilities, and we are still recovering from the impact of that event. As a rural hospital, we do care for some people who do not have the means to travel even in our facility due to their health or financial reasons. And they will forego care if it's not available locally. And we did see that briefly during our cyber event that people were not willing to travel for care. And I think all of us on this call WRTV cannot imagine that position, but we know it, it isn't what we want for anyone. So I just wanna um, share that, you know, I, I worry that further threats or actions that could harm hospitals you know, and I, especially rural hospitals like mine may risk access or the availability of, um, for the future. So um, thank you for allowing me to share with you. Thank you, Carol. Uh, I, I'm glad you highlighted uh, the cyber incident that occurred that uh, has a very disruptive impact on, on patient care. The operation of the hospital has a significant financial uh, impact as well. And it is unfortunately coming um, not uncommon. We've had a number of Indiana hospitals uh, targeted. Hospitals are one of the kind of institutions that are targeted quite frequently uh, by a lot of cyber criminals. And we're seeing that uh, all across the country and unfortunately here in Indiana. Um, so it's um, not, not just, but many others have experienced that. So uh, we're going to go from southeast uh, to the northwest uh, and hear uh, from Lauren Trumbo, who is the chief financial officer for the Methodist Hospitals with uh, facilities in Maryville and Gary and this in the uh, surrounding area. Uh, Lauren, thanks uh, for being with us and I'll turn it over to you. Great. Good afternoon, everyone. Uh, hello from Northwest Indiana. I uh, wanted to share with you our unique organization. We are an independent DISH health, healthcare organization. Um, 
We have a hospital located in Gary, Indiana, also another hospital located in Maryville. We have a few other outpatient sites as well as our uh, large physician network and other intermediate care sites as well. But what makes us unique is that we don't have a hospital with high commercial payer mix to help offset the high Medicare and Medicaid volume that we serve. Um, Methodist Healthcare, which in our payer mix is 82% Medicare and Medicaid. And as you have heard, um, Medicare reimbursement doesn't cover the actual cost it, it takes to take care of these patients. So we are already um, have financial challenges outside of what the pandemic uh, brought to us. So I kind of wanted to walk through our 2022 uh, financial story. Um, which is similar to the presentation that you heard and to the other healthcare facilities as well. But uh, the beginning of 2022, we had, again, a huge, large uh, COVID wave of inpatient volume in our healthcare organization. So the highest record um, since the onset of the pandemic. We also saw a high record number of staff that was quarantined um, because they um, had the COVID um, Omicron variant. So that left us uh, with staff staffing um, challenges. Our ICUs were at capacity. Our emergency departments were boarding inpatients, which we never want to have. Um, due to this, we had to stop our elective surgeries and we had to relocate resources to the acute care side. Um, we also had to stop surgeries because we couldn't um, perform a surgery because and have them admitted because we had no bed availability. So stopping electives already really uh, put a financial hurt on our financial statements. So all this at the beginning of 2022 led us to have some labor issues, significant labor challenges, not with just the bedside nursing, but with all of our clinicians, uh, with our physicians as well, but primarily contract labor expense um, hit us really hard. For 2022, our contract labor was $31.4 million um, compared to 2019, pre-pandemic. We only had $2.2 million in contract labor, so a significant uh, jump in our expense related to contract labor. Um, supply expense also drastically increased, um, as you are well aware with other industries, not just healthcare, but uh, high inflation. Um, so most of, most of our healthcare supplies are coming from overseas. Um, so with China having some uh, shutdowns with their factories, that increased um, the demand for supplies, uh, which which um, is pushing our supply expense up. And then we had um, all the shipping, uh, the container ships um, sitting outside the co the coast of Cal um, California, um, and so all that created these inflationary factors, um, which increased our supply expense. Purchase services significantly increased. So as all the other businesses um, are increasing their wages to their employees, um, you know, and, and they're passing it down to their customers, uh, they too have passed it down to the hospitals and our purchase services have increased. So again, as Hospitals are unable to pass our increased costs off to our patients, mainly because we have negotiated contracts that are typically multi-year. So where we could see other industries, um, they can shorten and reduce their hours of service, um, hospitals cannot. 
as other industries can reduce their inventory on their shelves or move to a to-go only model, um, hospitals are expected and required to remain open 24-7 to serve our communities. And as we already heard about the increased length of stay, um, we are no different. We had much sicker patients which increase our length of stay without having additional revenue coming in. Delays moving um, discharge patients to the post-acute care setting increase their length of stay. Also with us being um, a dish facility, our increased social determinants increase our length of stay. All this left the hospitals to bear um, additional expense without um, offsetting revenue. Um, I'm proud to say that Methodist didn't sit, didn't sit idle in 2022. We did move on uh, some strategic plan in initiatives and did grow our net revenue, um, which, which brought in a contribution margin. However, the increased expenses that were borne on us were too severe. Um, our total expense in 2022 was $422 million compared to uh, pre-pandemic in 2019, which was only $347 million. So we uh, saw an increase in 2022 of $75 million in expense without really additional any revenue. So as you heard the losses, um, the median losses across Indiana's hospitals, Methodist is going to have a little bit larger. Uh, we do have a, an operating margin uh, loss of 4.6%, and our day's cash on hand also has dropped by 69 days or 31%. So this is uh, unsustainable um, to continue, and we do have concerns with 2023 as we're trying to navigate through, uh, through the outcomes of the pandemic. But not only mitigating through those, there's also additional legislation issues that we have to deal with. Um, Section 203 of the Consolidated Appropriations Act of 2021 altered the definition of Medicaid shortfall for the purposes of calculating dish payments. And this language was attached discreetly and unnoticed due to the excitement around CARES Act funding. And this alone has a $16 million unfavorable impact to our bottom line. Um, which again is unsustainable for our organization. And we do need a federal legislative fix on this, or we need uh, the state and local governments to help subsidize DISH entities across Indiana. There are also other uh, state bills that are very burdensome, burden, burdensome um, that are going through the House and the Senate. And those do have costly impact for Methodists and are um, unsustainable and would really put undue uh, pressure on our um, hospital organization. And now is not the time to put additional pressure on the hospitals. Our communities need access to health care. Um, and during the pandemic, Northwest Indiana hospitals were already maxed at capacity with critical care beds and resources in emergency departments. With the closure of one hospital already in Northwest Indiana, this has added additional strains in our emergency departments. The impact of legislative, as mentioned, are threatening our sustainability in Methodist hospitals. In the community um, of Gary and Maryville, they need, they need us here. Uh, they need to provide access to healthcare. And without us, the, there will not be enough resources in Northwest Indiana to provide that access. So thank you for allowing me to share my story. Thank you so much, Lauren. And 
And uh, you mentioned uh, the federal uh, legislative issue with the DISH program, the Disproportionate Share Hospital Program, uh, which provides funding for urban and also rural safety net hospitals. Uh, that change, I think, uh, was not intended to impact states like Indiana, but it does. Uh, and we've been working very hard, of course, with you. And I want to give credit to Congressman Frank Morvan, uh, Congressman Greg Pence, Congressman Larry Bouchon. They've all, uh, as well as others in our delegation, have been working to try to fix that at the federal level. Um, and we need we need a solution on that this year. And I hope that we'll uh, we'll get one. And it has a huge impact on the Methodist Hospital, but also has the potential to impact uh, rural hospitals uh, like. Uh, the one that Alan Fisher uh, leads. So I'll now turn to kind of the uh, uh, North Central, the heart of the state, if you will, uh, to a rural uh, hospital, uh, Alan Fisher, who's the CEO of Woodlawn Hospital in Rochester, Indiana. Uh, Alan, could you share a little bit about your story? Definitely. Thank you for having me. The Center for Healthcare Quality and Payment Reform recently noted that 11 hospitals in Indiana are at risk of closing with seven of those hospitals at immediate risk of closing. Specific hospitals weren't identified though. Unfortunately, my facility is likely one of those at the greatest risk. Woodlawn is an independent critical access hospital with five rural health clinics attached. Our operational loss for 2021 was $4.5 million, but with the financial headwinds picking up speed last year, it left us with an estimated loss for 2022 at $6.3 million. Our goal, not a pleasant one for 2023, is only to lose $1.5 million. And that's even after we've implemented more than $2.5 million in cost reduction. Because of our dire situation, days of cash on hand has dropped in half, which is significantly below the acceptable levels. Now, why are we in this situation? Many more Hoosiers gained health care coverage through Medicaid and the Healthy Indiana Plan, or HIP, during the pandemic. But hospitals have increasingly had to pick up the bill. Indiana hospitals will pay a total of $0.5 billion in 2023 into the hospital assessment fee, or the half, to fund these programs. Now, Woodlawn's portion is growing quick, quickly, rising from just over 2 million in 2020 to well over 3.2 million in 2023. It is good that we have HAP for so many who do not have insurance or have other options, but these half increases on our hospitals are not sustainable. Additionally, Major insurance companies pay rural hospitals typically lower reimbursement rates and often force, uh, force patients to seek care far outside their community. These care redirection policies often lead to patient delay in getting patient delaying needed care. This harms their health and makes it more difficult to even keep our doors open as patients go elsewhere for their services. Without state help on these two latter issues soon, Woodlawn will face difficult decisions about which services it still can provide to stay out. Many hospitals, including some in Indiana, have closed their obstetric units due to low birth rates 
and inadequate reimbursement. More than 60% of all births at Woodland are paid through the Medicaid program, which only covers less than 53% of the total cost of providing the care. We do not want the maternity deserts that are growing in our region to become larger, but we also must evaluate closing our own unit, which loses $2 million annually. Currently, there are several, several bills introduced regarding health care costs that exempt county-owned and rural hospitals like mine. While this is better than being hammered by some of these proposals, simply being left out of that legislation doesn't help us remain open for the citizens of Fulton County. But with state financial support for hospitals, similar to what we are seeing proposed in other states, we can afford to keep marginal programs at Woodlawn open, such as what we are calling our maternity oasis, and be that cornerstone of our local economy. Legislation critical access hospitals like ours must be developed in such a way to ensure the continued viability of our organization and other organizations into the future. We employ legislators to pass bills that would aid rather than hinder our rural facilities and communities we serve. Thank you. Thanks so much, Alan. Uh, I know you're working hard uh, to keep uh, Woodlawn uh, going for, for your community and doing everything you can in a really difficult environment. So thank you for taking a few minutes to, to share that story with us. Thank you. Uh, We've heard a little bit about some of the national uh, trends have been referenced, and I think what we're seeing here in Indiana is that uh, we're being hit just as hard, if not harder, and that sort of the tail uh, is, is longer, and that has implications, as I said earlier, for communities and patients, and we think this is an important story. We just want the public uh, to understand the current situation and, and the um, sort of volatile and fragile nature of uh, the hospital system really across Indiana. Um, we were there, pandemic, as one system uh, working uh, to take care of Hoosiers. Uh, and the toll uh, is really starting to um, have an effect. Uh, and that's where, uh, where we are and why we're here uh, today. Um, we need support uh, and uh, for folks to understand that we want to partner with the state in terms of how we turn this around. So uh, with that, I will turn it back over to Lara McCaffrey to facilitate any questions and discussion. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.